Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with, uh, just with Jason. It's just me. Hey, everyone. How's it going? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. We're, I'm missing our uh, third amigo, though. Yes, especially with our little setup here. We took us like an hour to get started. <laughs> a little peek behind the scenes. We <laughs> suck at technology. <sighs> I, didn't, I didn't get the recording tutorial, so I had to piece yeah, that together. I just suck. That's my um, I have no excuse. If you're keeping track, Michael's on a little bit of a hiatus. He uh, needed some time to take care of some family stuff with the, uh, the kid and everything. So we are going to be soldiering forth for about a block or so without him. I'm willing to wager that we are more needy than his child. <laughs> Potentially, based on the last hour, yes, I think so, perhaps. Um, so today, we are doing a listener episode, chilling down from our rather roller coaster ride of Indian cinema. That it was. Wow, just tomb bad to 13B. <laughs> to Ludo. Uh, still, still haunts me. Crazy. Um, so today, we are talking about The Righteous from 2021. Mark O'Brien's psychological thriller slash religious horror. We'll get into that. Sure, sure. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching, just like always. And I got a shout out. Yeah, shout it out. I have a special one. It's another not a podcast, which I know. Okay. I'm slacking on the podcast. That's fine. I mean, you know. This one's important because it's a good cause. Okay. So based on scheduling, this one should drop just before October. Cool. Our most sacred of important months. The most months. sacred months, yes. yes. The, mo- the most unholiest of holy dark times. <laughs> Where we celebrate horror and we love it. Woo. Our friends, Lance and Erica, over at Unsung Horrors, one of our favorite podcasts. Mm-hmm. We rep them all the time. We love them. They are doing their third year of their Horror Gives Back charity challenge. Um, you can follow along with that every time, every year they've been doing it. Essentially, it's just a very simple idea that horror fans will pledge to watch a horror movie a day all through October and attach some donation amount per movie. You can just do a dollar a movie if you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, you chronicle that through the month and use the hashtag HorrorGivesBack to kind of share that and join in with everyone else and nice. ce- celebrate movies. That's a great idea. And you're raising money for a good cause. Uh, each time they pick a charity to kind of focus on, of course, you're free to also just do your own if you want. Uh, I think this year they picked the Best Friends Animal Society. Great They're cause. kind of an advocate group for you know helping strays and... We're all about that here um, on this podcast. Yes, if you've listened to our Cat's Eye episode, we're all about that. <laughs> um, I think even, too, one of their things is trying to help promote shelters to switch over from kill status to no-kill. Nice. Which, again, Cat's Eye, yeah. we got into that. Yep. Very worthy cause. You don't want to send them to Meowschwitz. No, you do not. Um, they made a cool like calendar list, too, where every day they're giving you a prompt of a certain kind of thing. It could be a genre. It could be a topic. I know, Jason, you were excited because they did a Linnea Quigley day. A whole day just for Linnea Quigley. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really freeform, though. Like, if you don't want to follow their list, you can do your own. I, you, I could be crazy and say, I'm going to do 31 Japanese horror films or whatever, whatever <laughs> yeah. you want. Uh, it's very laissez-faire. I will put you some links to go follow to get to where they announced it so you can follow along with them. Um, they have a link, too, specifically for the charity they're focused on if you want to pitch in with them. I think their goal this year was to try to raise uh, $666. Nice. Nice. Very metal. Well, I mean, most people, most horror fans are going to be watching a horror film a day in October anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you may as well donate to a good cause. Yeah. Because I think the thing that always impresses me with the horror community is like, for all the like darkness, the gore, Mm -hmm. the violence, everything else, 
people that are horror fans are just like so caring yeah. when you get like down to the level yeah. about it. I think it's because we're more sensitive than most people. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, yeah, so Horror Gives Back, Unsung Horrors, they're doing something awesome. Go check them out. Follow along with that. Join in if you want. I don't know if we're going to do anything too special with it here on the podcast. I might I might do it. I think I'm going to do it this year. Yeah, I might do it too. Last year I was busy with the uh, film journalism thing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have time, but I, I've got the time now. So. Yeah, nice. Excellent. Uh, if we do, we'll post about that on Aaron too, and you can check it out on all the social media stuff. But uh, yeah. Yeah, look out for that. That's a good cause. What have you been watching, Jason? I watched a fun movie, another recent one, The Black Phone. Oh. Yes, Scott Derrickson, your boy. My man, Scott Derrickson. But you haven't seen this yet, have you? No, I have not. Okay. I really want to. Uh, Most people probably know what this is about, but briefly it is after being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. Uh, and this is based on a story by Joe Hill, who everyone knows is Stephen King's son, because mm-hmm. he looks just fucking like him. And I heard this was kind of his attempt to like capture a classic-y... It's very King. Yeah, yeah it's set in the 80s uh, during the whole killer uh, abduction, mm-hmm. child murder craze, which was a very real thing, because I lived through it. And I was convinced that either we were all going to be nuked, or I was going to get abducted and dismembered in the back of a van. Fun times. Yeah. That was the 80s. They, uh, they don't tell you that now on the 80s throwback nostalgia. <laughs> no. But, I mean, that was that was everything. It's mm-hmm. like, don't talk to strangers, stranger danger, and imminent nuclear holocaust. It's either they're a communist or they're going to rape you. <laughs> or maybe both. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of identified with this movie hmm. for that reason. Luckily, I was never abducted or anything. That you remember. That I remember. I have very little memories. It's true. Um, but I really like this movie. It's very good. It's very well done. Nice. It, that makes me more excited. Yeah. I think you'll dig it. It's um, um, Madeline McGraw. She plays a little sister mm-hmm. of the main character. She steals the movie. She's so good. And she's kind of getting like visions, right? That sort of guide her. Yeah. She's a little psychic. Yeah. Kind of a typical. She's got the shining. Yeah. And this movie doesn't get too like gratuitous or anything like that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there, there are some rather disturbing depictions of child abuse, though. Uh, hmm. So you know, if that sort of thing triggers you, eh, proceed with caution. It's got a killer mask too. I hope to see a lot of Halloween costumes. Yeah, apparently Tom Savini uh, designed the masks. Ooh. There's several different masks that he wears. Interesting, depending on his mood. Uh, but it's good. I, I recommend it. It's uh, yeah, Listen, it's man. kind of old fashioned. You know. Scott Derrickson can deliver. Yeah. And Marvel made a mistake. I'm just I'm just putting it out there. They left because of creative differences. That's mm-hmm. why they split. Yeah. There's a lot of creative differences in Hollywood. He uh, he just couldn't fuck it up like Sam Raimi. So. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> I don't right. have Michael to rein me in. <laughs> All right, man. What you been watching? Um, I wanted to highlight this one just because it's a Shutter pick, and you know Michael's usually our Shutter guy, so love the Shutter. Got to get it in there for him. Um, I have a really cool co-worker named Rika. Shout out to Rika. Hey, Rika. She keeps track of a lot of horror on streaming stuff and tends to pass along to me, oh, have you seen this? You should check it out. Good woman. So this filtered to me by way of her. So thank you for this. I checked out Watcher, directed by Chloe Okuno. I believe it's a pretty recent addition to the old Shutter library. Mm-hmm. And it follows Julia, played by our favorite Micah Monroe from It Follows. Yeah. 
and she moves to Romania, I believe, with her husband. Uh, it's set up that she was like a some degree of a famous actress in America or aspiring actress. They're a little vague on the backstory, and that's part of what makes it really good. Mm-hmm. And so he gets a really great job, and she moves with him. And this is this is like multiple multiple parts, like things we reference all the time. It's one part rear window, and it's one part uh, Polanski's repulsion. Nice. So a lot of it is she's in the apartment, she's alone, she doesn't speak the language very well. Her husband, boyfriend guy is leaving. I think it's husband, yeah. Uh, he's leaving every day for like long hours. He's out in the morning. He doesn't get back till late at night. And she's just kind of left to her own devices in this other country where she doesn't know anyone, doesn't have any friends. And, you know, what what to do. Mm-hmm. And one night she notices they have this big, nice, like, bay window in their living room. And she can see an apartment across the street. And she looks and she thinks she notices a guy at one of the windows staring at her. Okay. And it becomes this slow obsession that spirals out of control where there's stories of a serial killer about that's, like, decapitating women, hmm. doing crazy stuff. And she starts to believe that this is the guy watching her. And she's worried that she's being stalked and she's going to be the next victim. And it gets super psychological and super out there. You start to learn that maybe she had issues in the past. Um, and there's some questions about like why she gave up on acting. And, you know, did she Harvey have, Weinstein? He, she have a stalker incident. Did she have a Harvey Weinstein kind of thing going <laughs> on? Or, you know, what is it? Or just maybe she have some kind of mental issue that's going on that's not being addressed. And, mm-hmm. Um, it starts to strain her relationship and her life spirals out of control. And it's great because if you know it follows, like all of that is her being followed by it. Hmm. So again, in this film, you have her being stalked by seemingly another person. And she kind of tries to take it on herself to resolve things. So then she starts stalking and now she is the one following. Okay. Um, Maybe some shades of like uh, the Palma too. Yeah, I think a little bit. That's a fair comparison too. Um, I thought the ending was like a little, little conventional. Like there was a lot of other ways they could have taken it and they kind of just stuck to like the most obvious outcome, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I still loved it and I still had a lot of fun. There's a lot of great visuals, a lot of great like music cues, especially to set the mood and the tone. Um, I don't know. It's super fun. I quite liked it. Um, shades of a lot of very famous classical films, but I think it does enough on its own that it's still worth watching and you're not going to waste your time to just say like, Oh, I've seen this before. Um, and on the back of that, I just want to shout out, there is another film that this is a shutter exclusive that it gave me the same vibe of. And that is, um, I believe it's called cold hell. Yeah. That's in my queue. I haven't watched. Um, it came out a few years ago and it's about a woman that's down on her luck and she witnesses a murder and then the killer starts stalking her and trying to torment her and keep her silent. And it kind of goes through a lot of the same motions, but it's less, uh, it's a little more action oriented, I would say. Okay. I think they bill it directly as a thriller. Hmm. Great vibe, very underlooked too. So maybe if you've not seen either, do the double feature. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, do you have anything else, sir, since we don't have Michael present? Uh, no, not at the moment. Unfortunately, I haven't had as much time to watch films as I like. Okay. Well, I want to jump back and talk about one. Okay. I want to talk about Nope. Okay. Jordan Peele. All right. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, I'll be curious to see what you thought about it. Yeah, avoid spoilers. Um, so being as little spoilery as possible, I quite loved it. I don't yeah. think, like, Get Out's, like, almost perfect, so it's hard to, like, say he's going to top that. I liked it more than Us. I thought Us was, like, a cool idea that had some weird 
execution on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the tone of though and the vibe of this one, and it kills me because now like three films in, Jordan Peele's like the dude to hate. He's starting to become like the Rob Zombie for a certain class of people where they're like, oh, it's another Jordan Peele movie. Um, yeah, because why would an auteur keep doing like yeah. thematically you know, similar <laughs> films? Um, but yeah, it's like a great tone, a great vibe, great message and concept behind it. Um, and I see a lot of people coming down on it because like, there is like some interesting like almost art housey commentary stuff going on in the film too. And I think people are getting like hung up on that and then not appreciating like the whole package. No, well, there's a very loud, but I think small percentage of, you know, movie watchers that don't want to think about anything. They just want to be spoon fed at all. That is so. true. Uh, but I think that's, what's nice about Jordan Peele and his style, because he can bring like the bombastic, like horror moments or like mm-hmm. fun comedy moments easily. But then he can also still couch like something more serious. Yeah, the in there subtext too. is still there, and if you want to ignore the subtext, you can. He kind of splits the difference to me between like Blumhouse and A twenty four. He can like merge those mm. together without like losing the appeal of either. That's a good comparison. Um. So yeah, just if you were on the fence about Nope, I would say go check it out. Give yeah. it a shot. I've been meaning to. Just... Um. The the thing at the end. I won't explain what it is for your sake. Thank you. Love the visuals on it. Love the design. I've seen a lot of people trashing the look, but I, there's certain media out there, and if you've seen it like me, <clears throat> Evangelion, mm-hmm. classic anime, that was the vibe it was giving me, and I was like, oh, I can, I can dig this. Okay. This is cool. Yeah, I think I know what you're getting at. Okay. Nice. Check yeah. it out. And you know, there's rumors of maybe another film in that universe, so I, I say let's do it. Oh, really? Okay. So today we are talking about Mark O'Brien's The Righteous from 2021, doing a listener episode. This came to us by way of a friend of the show and I guess founding movie club member, Colin. Hey, Colin. So Colin, thanks for this one. Glad to always have your input on this. Um, He actually recommended it because I told him about it. I said last time I had a funny story about like this film, and I guess I'll share that now before we get into it. Okay. Um, I did Fantasia last year. I think that's a known quantity on this uh, podcast by now. Mm-hmm. Writing reviews for a place, an outlet. Um, I did it virtually. Very interesting. I liked it because they they had like the virtual library, but they still did like this show screens at this time on this night, and so it was still like a like a premiere, like a moment. Yeah, everyone's watching together. Yeah, and so the Righteous debuted at Fantasia. And so, like, when I watched it, that was, like, ooh. I'm seeing it, like, first first cut, like, right away. Um, and I really loved it, and I was super impressed with it. And the kind of the, kind of the whole way, like, the thing was when I was, when I was doing these reviews, it was very, like, free will, like, check out whatever. If you think it's worth writing up, write it up for publication. Um, so I love this film. And I thought it was great, and I had all these ideas that I wanted to write about it and talk about it, and it had me jazzed up and excited. And so the film screened at, like, I think 7 my time. So it was done, and then I stayed up, like, <laughs> into the late AMs in the morning writing. Of course. Got, like, really far into a write-up on it. And then I noticed we had, like, another guy doing this, too, and he reviewed it. 
and he had a much less favorable opinion than mine. Ooh. And not to knock it, it was it was you know his opinion. I stand by that. It's cool. Everyone has a different interpretation, but it made me a little sad because I was yeah. real real jazzed up about this one. So his review got on and yours didn't. Yeah, he he beat me to the punch. Wow, which, which is fair. Uh, I you know me, I go researching and then sure you, you, then hours and hours of my time was on research that was probably not necessary. Mm-hmm. Jason knows. <laughs> I'm well aware of that, sir. I come to the podcast sometime and just bury them in papers. But I would bet that your article was more interesting than his. I don't know. That's not for me to judge. But um, in the wake of all of that, I mentioned it to Colin. And I was like, but I wanted to tell you about it because I think you would like this film. Mm-hmm. And you would want to check it out when it's got a release. And then he said, well, then I want to make that my suggestion for a listener episode. Okay. Now, has he watched it? He has not. It's only just <laughs> come out. Is it legal for someone to suggest a movie they haven't watched? Oh. A recommendation? I guess we never I gave those parameters. We have, we have no rules, so... Yeah. I keep threatening people to troll us, and no one does. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be popular enough to have trolls. Yeah. Uh, we're not there yet. That's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, but this is out now like on the Arrow Player, and then there's a Blu-ray release. So, I mean, that's a little niche still. You know, It's not like on Netflix or something. But <laughs> Yeah, but I mean... You'd have to go a hunting a little bit. Sure, but Arrow's only five bucks. Just get it. That and Shutter, you're set. Oh, yeah. It's a good life. Yeah. (laughs) So I'll hit you with the synopsis real quick. Let's do it. Very short, very simple. A burdened man feels the wrath of a vengeful god after he and his wife are visited by a mysterious stranger. Okay. That's very succinct, very open-ended. That could be anything. It could be anything. And, And to kick it off, I mentioned it in the intro, the genre officially this is billed as a psychological thriller. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you could put like religious horror in there too, maybe. I describe it as religious horror, but I think it's significant that it's considered a psychological thriller. But we got to put a pin in that to come back to it, I think. Yeah. Talk about the context of that. Right. Uh, a little fun background before we get to going. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark O'Brien, the director, he not only wrote the script, but he also plays the very key role in the film of said mysterious stranger. Mm-hmm. Which I did not know when I was watching it. Oh, really? Yeah, I did, I did like zero research. Mm-hmm. I just went in code. And I had no idea that was the director <laughs> and writer. Pretty awesome, once you know that. Yeah. Um, this premiered at Fantasia, like I said. Um, it won the best screenplay of Fantasia that year. And it went on to win several other rewards at other festivals. It got the uh, best cinematography at the 2021 Blood in the Snow Canadian Film Fest. Dick that title. It is a Canadian film. Yes. Yeah. And the 2021 Grimfest, it won Best Screenplay and Best Cinematography. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. It so, is a good-looking movie. It's shot in black and is. white, which will turn a lot of people off. But if you're turned off by black and white, just please give it a chance. Just <laughs> keep watching black and white films. They're so beautiful. It's the very stark, like, ooh, contrasted black and white. And they do a lot of good, like, shadow work where there'll be mm-hmm. a lot of illumination but then what's visually interesting is what's cast in the shadow of that light. Yeah. Yeah, some good silhouettes and stuff like uh, that. It's very important, and we should just bring it up from the top. It's hard to ignore. Probably the biggest influence on this, I would say, is Ingmar Bergman, mm-hmm. visually, the cinematic style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would also... I got a lot of vibes from Jack Clayton's The Innocents. Oh, yes. Yes, that's a good comparison. Especially yeah. the opening. Mm-hmm. It immediately made me think of The Innocents. So let's talk about the opening. Let's do it. When our film opens, 
We've got our lead character, Frederick Mason, mm-hmm. and he is cast in prayer. He's clearly a priest of some kind. Yeah, he's got the collar on. And he's in like a fit of prayer, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, played by Henry Zerny. Zerny? Mm-hmm. Zerny, I believe. Right. Uh, he's very good in the role. Everyone's really good. Yeah, this is a small cast, and I was telling you before we started, after Ludo, which I do love still, but... Oh, man, that cast list was huge. We come to this, and we've got, number one, a 90-minute movie. Mm-hmm. And then, number two, we only have, like, six characters. Yeah. It, it was nice. It was refreshing. What a refreshing breeze. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Frederick is praying to God, and he seems like he's asking for, like, penance regarding something he's done. And he's asking for a swift penance. A swift penance. A swift punishment for some sin. We don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Par for the course, right? Mm-hmm. So, and um, apparently this this was shot in a barn. Really? This scene, yeah. You can see his breath, too, because mm. they were basically outside. Yeah, I listened to the com- The commentary is also on Arrow. Oh, nice. So I listened to that. I haven't had a chance to dig into that yet. Yeah. Fourth a listen. Hmm. So we see him praying. Yes. And then immediately cuts this cool exterior shot of a church. Um, and it is the funeral of a young girl. Yes. Uh, is it Joni? Joni yes. her name, yeah. And uh, we quickly find out that this priest was the father mm-hmm. of this girl, and he uh, his wife is there with him, Ethel. Yep. Uh, played by Mimi Kuzki. Also very good. K- Kuziak. I butchered that yeah, one. Yeah, sorry. sorry. We're messing up your last names. <laughs> we apologize. Uh, so yeah, the first few minutes are pretty silent. It's, it's not a very large gathering at this funeral. There's a lot of good like moods in this film where there's not like direct things happening, but you're just given a feeling. So you really get like the sorrow. Oh yeah. Uh, it made me think of like the funeral in hereditary had that same kind of like, you feel the weight like bearing down upon you as you watch it. Mm -hmm. I get that. (laughs) Uh, yeah, but they're, you know, uh, going through the whole funeral motions, people are giving their condolences and then it kind of cuts and Frederick's off to the side speaking with Graham, father Graham, another priest played by Nigel Bennett, it's clear they've had some long-term relationship as far as like working together in the church and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's at first just trying to help him like process this because, of course, you know, it's impossible to try to reason a death like this, especially yes. for a young child. Yeah. And Graham suggests that perhaps this happened to him to call him back to the priesthood. Mm-hmm. So what, we, we learn that he has left the priesthood. Don't know why at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, Frederick seems rather dismissive of this idea. Yeah, um, it, it stings him, and you can mm-hmm. tell. Yeah. Um, There's a cool split diopter shot, too. Oh, yeah, 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 Of his wife sitting back in the pews and him in the room with the father. Mm-hmm. I'm um, a sucker for those. <laughs> but notably, in, in his rejection of that, Frederick counters that it was God that chose to take his daughter away. Mm-hmm. And so this gets to maybe probably one of the core parts about this film, which is the whole, uh, I guess, the status of god when you look at it from a religious perspective um especially in this kind of christianity that they're in we don't know quite if it's catholic or i would assume catholic but i guess it could be other Mm. branches but we'll just say catholic it's just vague enough to be generally christian yeah um right but there's that whole like uh idea of like everything happens for a reason right right i think even when this discussion's happening and uh graham's trying to pitch him coming back he even says Oh, well, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. 
which is we hear a lot one of those platitudes that a terrible condolence for someone with a dead child yeah yeah it doesn't really help yeah Yeah, oh this is going to be fairly heavy uh episode two going in so just so you know i mean anything that opens up with the child's funeral you know it's gonna be (laughs) it's gonna be weighty this is not a laugh riot no 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 this isn't Ludo with its fun little music interludes. <laughs> um, oh, and the the priest Graham, um, I think he's Canadian, but he he's using a German accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the director said that he wanted him to use a German accent. And, and later we see the director uses kind of a southern accent because yeah. he didn't want this movie to be placed in any particular uh, geographical location mm. or even time frame. That's really. pretty clever. Yeah, I like that. It does have sort of a dreamlike mystical. Mm-hmm. aura about it yeah, it's almost like several places amalgam together mm-hmm. to make this like fantasy area where this story plays out yeah um we get a little bit more like information drop um graham's a little bit worried about uh some mental lapses right that frederick's having yeah and um in the end they just kind of conclude like oh we're just gonna go back to our home in the countryside and just try to weather through this together about all you can do. Yep. And then we cut to him. Frederick is praying in the bedroom. And there's this kind of sustained shot of his wife, Ethel. She's laying in bed and she's just like staring at him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems a little dismissive to me. That's the impression <laughs> I got that she's watching him pray. And it's like, why? Yeah. What, you know, what's it going to do? just lost our daughter. And- Again, there's a lot of good acting in this film, just like in their faces and their portrayals. Oh, of like yeah. a, a mood just in a look. And when you see her in the scene, like... You can tell she's just like emotionally cored out. Right. And something I was thinking throughout the, the very beginning of this was like, this seems like an older couple to have such a young child. Right. Because we saw a picture of the girl and she's probably like, what, six, eight, something mm-hmm. like yeah. that. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, some, something's a little weird. I mean, it's possible, you know, but unusual. And we quickly get our answer because they are visited by a woman named Doris. Yes. Played by Kate Corbett. Also very good. And you probably know a Doris in your life I'm sure at some you do. point. I'm sure you do. Uh, the kind Emotional, of... Emotional, frayed. Yeah. Kind of scattered, mm-hmm. seeming. But well-meaning. But well-meaning, yes. And she shows up to check in on them in the wake of what's happened. Mm, yes. And in the course of their conversation, we learn that Doris is actually Joni's birth mother. Mm-hmm. And at that time in her life, she kind of felt like unfit to have a kid. And she got Frederick and Ethel to adopt Joni. Right. Although it's never really said. Not clearly. It's not explained very clearly, no. And I'm, I'm glad you're saying that because I wanted to talk to you about this uh-huh. um, where we didn't like pre-talk about it at all. Frederick is very off to the side. Yes, he is. And kind of awkward during a lot of these scenes. <laughs> yes, he is. Now, I wondered, is that because he just thinks Doris is annoying or a little of column A, a little of column B. Or is it a little bit, uh, yeah, I, what I, goes on? That was something that I thought we should circle back to later. Yeah, okay. we'll come back to that. Yeah. But just keep that in your mind. And Doris asks if they ever told her, meaning we infer, did they ever tell Joni that you know, Doris was her mother? And they mm. say no. Which she's like, well, that's for the best. Yeah. And I, I love how like she keeps asking him how they're doing and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and asking the questions about the funeral. And I love was it a nice that, funeral? Yeah, they're, they're just stone faced. She would just immediately <laughs> ask a different question. You know, the mother. And you can tell they're just Ethel. like, yeah, please like, stop just talking. Go, just go, leave. You're not helping. 
But she gets really emotional too. She almost breaks down in tears. Yeah. But she's trying to hold it together to put on a good front for them. But right. But she seems the type of person that would probably break down a lot, though. Yeah. Honestly. But I mean, uh, her daughter did just die. So we learned a little bit about her. She's got a job at a diner. Uh, I think she wasn't at the funeral because she had to work and she couldn't get away. Yeah. Yeah. So they say. Uh, and she leaves finally, and they seem to be relieved at that. And then we see them standing in Joni's room. Yes. Hard scene to watch. Yeah. And they're just like looking down at her empty bed and everything. This is another hereditary moment where it's like after um, a certain character meets a certain fate. <laughs> yeah. And right. we have a prolonged scene of uh, the mother crying. Oh, God. That is such a good moment. Which is just soul shredding. So good. Um, this gave me that same vibe, though. Yeah, I get that. And interesting, on the commentary, the director was talking about... It's a shot in a real house. That's an actual house they shot oh, in. Oh, nice. But it wasn't in the best of shape. And upstairs in that room they wanted to use, the floor was, like, caving in. It was, it was about to collapse. Mm-hmm. So they could not get too many people or equipment in there. And they were worried the entire time it was just going to fall through. And apparently he wanted to shoot a later scene in that room, but he said it would be impossible because of all <laughs> the people involved. They were wow. afraid it would collapse. And then we cut to... The father boarding Yeah, up. In, the, in the wake of this, he seals off the room so they can't go in there anymore. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. And life goes on as best it can. You can tell there's just... There's almost zero connection between the two of them because they're so... So in their own heads at this point still with everything. Yeah, but they're... I mean, they're... they're Trying. Nice to each other. Yeah. They say they love each other and stuff like that. It's obviously they care for one another. Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> and then the evening comes. There is a. Sh- yeah. Oh, is there one little scene? Yeah, there's a scene where he's, he's. We see him tearing something apart. This is before Doris arrives. Okay, that's yeah, right. Yeah. He's outside working on. Yeah, something. back us up to this because this, yeah. this is important. Right, he's he's tearing something apart. You think maybe it's a gate or something mm-hmm. that's made of wood. We don't see what, but he does. You know, like he's looking straight ahead, and at one point he sees his daughter standing in the field, like looking at him. Yeah. Which I don't think is even meant to be like a super normal thing. It's just right. like how when you lose someone, you, you kind of see them out of the corner of your eye and stuff like Cause that. Because how many times has he probably done yard work and looked and seen her yeah, out playing, out there in the field playing? Yeah. And that's when Doris goes in, com- comes and yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you circled us back to that. Sure. No problem. Uh, so that night, something happens. Mm-hmm. They get a visitor. Yes. Uh, a, a guy's just drifting along near their nice rural farmhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Frederick hears noises, and he he even gets a knife out of a drawer mm-hmm. and goes outside to investigate. And there's that cool shot where he's backlit. Yeah, you just see a silhouette. I was gonna say this is one of the great like shadow scenes. Yeah. He's backlit by the house, and he is just a shadowy outline. Mm-hmm. So cool looking. It is good. And then we see someone hobble in the frame. Uh, it's a younger man, we think, mm-hmm. and uh, he's kind of crying out, saying his foot's hurt and he's lost. Yep. He just needs some help. Yeah, and he kind of collapses to the ground. He's asking for help. Frederick is suspicious, as you would be. And this house seems fairly isolated, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's asking him, like, you don't have a phone. You know, we're, That's probably the only hint that tells us this might be like a modern type of film. He's mm-hmm. asking about the phone. Other than that, and maybe the make of the cars. Yeah, but you don't see a computer. You don't see yeah. cell phones, nothing. Right. And I love that. I love that, I love that timeless quality of the movies. Um, so he goes inside to get the first aid kit. Yes. His wife. And Ethel's worried. Yeah, Ethel's worried. What's going on? What's happening? She seems like she wants him to just call the cops and turn him away mm-hmm. and not even help him. 
but he protests to her it's the right thing to do yep. to help him. It's the Christian thing, right? Mm-hmm. But she says, I'm going to call Mary. Like, okay, who's Mary? He agrees to this. He goes outside, and the, the guy's passed out. Yep, so they, she drags him inside, gets him set up on the couch. Gets him on the couch, gets his foot propped up and all that stuff, and then Mary arrives. Yep. And apparently she's the sheriff, or at least a police officer yep, of some that's, sort. Yep, uh, that's played by Mako Nguyen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, what's going on? What's the problem? And as soon as Ethel starts to say stuff, Frederick interrupts saying that, oh, it was my mistake. It's a nephew? Yeah, he claims it's a nephew that he didn't recognize at first because he hadn't seen him in so long. Yeah, he claims it's a family member it tells a, that he hasn't seen in a long time. Tells a little white lie there. Yeah. Mr. Do the Right Thing. Uh-huh. And Ethel's looking at him like, what? But she doesn't <laughs> say anything. So uh, Mary's convinced everything's cool. She leaves. <laughs> Ethel's like, what the hell? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. But also, the, he wakes up. The mm-hmm. visitor wakes mm-hmm. up and is like, uh, you're not afraid I was going to rob you. He yeah. says, "I love how casually he says it." Too. Yeah, and he's got this southern drawl. Uh, and this is Mark O'Brien's character. Yeah, but we later learned his name is Aaron. Yes. So Aaron's like, "I could leave," and they say, "No, you know, stay for the night, you know, rest up." Yeah, we're do the right thing, take care of you. Sure. <laughs> uh, and then uh, later that night. Frederick gets up because he doesn't he hear Aaron like kind of banging around. Downstairs. He does. Yeah, he obviously can't sleep anyway. And it, something interesting about the set design, like especially in their sitting room, is the fact that everything kind of has like sharp edges and corners, like mm. the chairs and lamps and stuff. And O'Brien said he wanted to, to the set director make things as sharp and angular as possible to look threatening. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Man, you overprepared for this one. I'm feeling <laughs> feeling the shame. Well, I feel like I didn't do a great one on Ludo because I was so exhausted after that movie. It's a cool idea. <laughs> um, yeah, so Frederick decides that he's going to help Aaron out, make some tea for him, and they kind of are just having some chit-chat. Yeah, start asking each other questions. And it's interesting because Aaron almost immediately goes for like sensitive topics Almost in a way that makes Frederick kind of be like, how do you know that? Because yeah. the first thing he asked was about Joni. And he immediately is like, how do you know that? Yeah, he's like, I'm sorry about your daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, interestingly, also, uh, when Frederick comes down and sees Aaron at the kitchen table, Aaron's reading from the Bible. Yeah. And it's... Uh, is this that part or is that later on? Mm-hmm. This might be later on. This is later on. My bad. It doesn't happen yet. Okay. Um, um, yeah, but he's kind of like, how do you know about my daughter? And he's like, oh, I saw the, the card about the funeral here on the table. Right. Always has that convenient answer. Mm-hmm. And Aaron's asking him, like, you know, how long, how long have you lived in this house? You know, where'd you come from? Where'd you move from? A lot of pointed questions. Yeah. Speaking of angular things. Yeah. And Frederick's pretty dodgy, too, about details. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to share with the stranger. And who can blame him? And he starts asking the stranger his story. And, mm-hmm. You know. Because um, Frederick does clarify to him that Joni was adopted, which prompts Aaron to say, like, oh, well, I was adopted, too. Yes. And then he tells this it's awesome monologue where he, like, rambles through this story. He gets a couple of cool monologues. Yeah. Uh, but he's talking all about how his parents were abusive. And um, 
where he would get like possessed kind of just by this force that would just overtake him mm-hmm. and just drive him to do things and he couldn't control himself. Yeah, like he wanted to kill his father and yeah. stuff like that because he was the biggest abuser. He had a story about going down to the river and throwing in rocks. That was his favorite thing to do. Mm-hmm. And he said that his that thing that possessed him and that anger gave him the strength to pick up this huge rock and throw it. And it killed a catfish. Yes. <laughs> and then he says that was a lie. He was just joking about that. But he really did get beaten a lot by his father. <laughs> that part was true. And that's what's great because you, you just can't read this guy. Yeah. At all. And it's funny because... So this debuted at Fantasia 2021. There's another film I really loved that debuted there. And I did get to write up about it. And that's uh, Coming Home in the Dark. Yeah, Which I've shown you, Jason. Yeah, that's good. It has the same vibe where you have this uh, kind of antagonistic force of a character, uh, Mandrake, and he has a backstory with maybe some connections to the main character, but he's also full of shit, and you never really quite know, is it true, is it false, is part of it true? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I thought it was interesting, because you have these two films, and they came out right around the same time, and they're both playing with the same ideas mm-hmm. to a degree. That's a good point. Oh, this was that scene. Yeah, yeah. Because they talk to him a little bit before they go to bed. Because he, he says his name's Aaron Smith. Yeah. And they look at him like, Smith? You know? And he's like, yeah, not very original. But he can't remember details. Like, they ask him his friend's name. Yeah, the he friend he's going to meet. Hurts, and he passes out, too. Mm-hmm. He says her head hurts so much, and he passes out, falls on the on the floor. Um, Yeah, and, and they're feeding him, too. And you see Ethel kind of warm up to him. Yeah, so that's that's the next him. morning, because at, at the end, it's like he, he's staying for the night. Ethel's very unsure about this, mm-hmm. and Frederick's kind of pushing her along to, yo, let's just do the right thing, and he'll be gone in a day or two, and yeah. everything will be good. Yeah, and it was that night he was reading the Bible, too. Aaron was reading the Bible, and they kind of center in on one of, I think it's, in this, it's a psalm. Uh, Deliver me from the oppression of man. So will I keep thy precepts? Mm. Apparently it's Psalm 119, 134. Interesting. Basically. But what does it mean? You know, it's one of those things that (laughs) it seems to be there's so many interpretations. But most people think that don't let the laws of man oppress you from worshiping God and Mm. doing what God wants you to. Hmm. Well, you can't serve two masters. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> as they say yeah and like Frederick's asking Aaron where he's from and he says from everywhere which is kind of interesting mm-hmm. never gives any you know he never gives complete answers to anything it's always right. something dodgy or vague uh, but that next morning things seem completely different yeah they're having a good old time yep Ethel's up she's making breakfast for Aaron she's singing they're she's just like, they're singing a good old time. Rock and Robin yep <laughs> <laughs> and yeah she's completely enamored with him now mm-hmm. and um, she says notably that she's thankful to God because clearly he brought Aaron into their life mm-hmm. made this coincidence happen that brought them together yeah so it's a pretty, pretty quick 180 from Ethel mm-hmm. makes you think it does make you think a little <laughs> bit um, and so we go cut to Frederick he's back outside taking apart that wooden structure and then the camera that cuts back, and you see it's a swing set. Yeah. He's dismantling. Next Which, to this huge old cool tree. I love how they tease it, too, that they don't show you what it is at first. Yeah. And then they, they build to this particular moment. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron comes out. And I didn't notice, but the director pointed out in the commentary that he comes out behind the tree. 
Mm-hmm. Like you don't really see where in the house he came out of. Like he emerges from nowhere. Yeah, which reminded me, and there's another shot later that reminds me of this too. It reminds me of the scene in The Lord of the Rings, the first one, Fellowship, uh, where the uh, ring wraith comes out from behind the tree. Oh, you don't yeah, see yeah, him on the yeah. other side, yeah. but he comes through on just one side. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and Aaron comes in and sits on the swing and starts talking to Frederick. And Aaron tells Frederick that he has spells too. Yep. Again, alluding to those uh, mental issues. Yeah. And Frederick kind of looks at him and he says that Ethel told him about those. Conveniently. Conveniently. <laughs> and then Aaron's like, let me give this get the try before you tear it down. And he starts swinging and they both start swinging together. And they have a little moment. Have a little moment. A little good time. And Ethel's watching from inside like, oh, that's sweet. It's almost like they have a, a, a new son. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> However, it can't stay rosy forever. Nope. Um, we see them, they're burning the swing set together. Yep. Uh, pretty much burning Johnny's childhood. I mean, last traces of it. Her room's boarded up and now her swing set's being burned. Yep. Uh... And Frederick's telling Aaron that he can stay a few nights. You know, they're, they're warming up to him. They kind of like his company and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Aaron tells him that he wants Frederick to kill him. Yep. He, he just straight up says, I want you to do something for me. Yep. He's like, all right, well, you know, we're happy to help you what? And he's like, I want you to kill me. Yeah. And Frederick's like, maybe you should get going. <laughs> <laughs> he, he quickly 180s back to, yeah, you should go now. That's... <laughs> That's and like when you, you have that friendship, you know, and it starts out and it's really great, and then something <laughs> awkward happens, and you're just like, ah, no, I don't know about this now. Yeah, this isn't working out. Oh, God. Um, but Aaron tells Frederick that he asked for this punishment and can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. He said, this is what you wanted, mm-hmm. and now it's here. And he swears to him that if you don't kill me, I will take Ethel away from you. Yeah. So Frederick runs into the house, all like in a panic and everything. And uh, Aaron well, Aaron collapses. Aaron does collapse. Yes, He's having some kind of episode. Yeah, which brings out Ethel and worry about him. Yeah, and she's like hugging him to her breast and everything. And he gives this little look to Frederick while she's doing this. Yeah, that's actually um, I have the Blu-ray, and it came with a little booklet with some essay and photos. And the back cover photo is this scene you're talking about. Nice, nice, Jason. Yeah, that's good. It's pretty cool. They also clearly thought it was a significant uh, moment. Well, take a shot, by the way, everybody. He has oh, yeah. the blue, right? I got the blue. <laughs> I bought it for the episode. Nice. <laughs> if we were making any money, it could be a tax write-off. I, I know. <laughs> we, we've done everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> so, yeah, so they bring Aaron inside. They set him up again on the, uh, the couch. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually Ethel goes to sleep. Yes. But Frederick's there with Aaron because he he knows something's up now. They have a nice little chat. Mm-hmm. And up- this is a scene that reminded me also of Lord of the Rings. Okay. What when moment? Aaron starts telling his story. Oh, okay. And the lights fade mm-hmm. all around them. And you just see the light cast on Aaron and Frederick. Reminded yeah. me of a lot, a lot of when Gandalf got mad at Bilbo. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, And he starts yelling at him. And his voice booms. And it gets all dark. You have this almost supernaturally divine force. Yeah. Exactly. And Aaron tells him that he answered Frederick's request for punishment. Mm-hmm. 
that he he was out driving and he heard his prayer. Yep. And he felt that possession come over him that again. That force took him over. Yeah. And he saw their daughter riding on her bike while he was driving and swerves over and hits her. Mm-hmm. And this is off screen. You know, it's tastefully done. Yeah, it's more about his narration and the way he tells it yeah. than actually showing and you. And it's moment. another great monologue. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Crazy that he wrote it and directed it, but then still gave such a performance. Mm-hmm. That's, that's some talent. And Aaron, it's here where he begins to infer that he's Frederick's child, correct? Well, he says that after he ran her over, he wandered aimlessly through the woods seeking Frederick. Mm-hmm. And got lost, and that's how his leg got messed up. And, and could, there was another shot that reminded me of Lord of the Rings, of the wow. last one, when, uh, the the beginning of uh, Return of the King, where they show Gollum mm-hmm. going into uh, the mountains and stuff, like he's holding oh, his yeah. head and crying. Yeah, yeah. And it reminded me of that scene where we see Aaron kind of yeah. like leaning against a tree and holding his head, crying. Hmm. I don't know if it was intentional, but that was the vibe I got. Just just to be clear for listeners, we are not sponsored by Amazon Prime. <laughs> this is not like a backdoor Rings of Power thing. No, but I do like the Rings of Power. Oh, God, fuck you, man. Throw that in there. Hey, you haven't I, even seen it. You I, can't judge it. I quit. You can't judge it. So, in the middle of this very serious scene, um, how much did we learn here? I forget how much he shares. He pretty much dumps everything. This is where we learn, like, he, he claims that he is, um, that, that, um, Frederick's his father, and Frederick just kind of spills about what happened. Yeah. Um, basically, before he met Ethel, he was, he was a priest doing his thing, and he met this woman, very devout woman, loved God, did, you know, max church level, mm-hmm. you might say. Mm-hmm. I don't know the terminology. But, uh, yeah. Level 11, yep. I don't know. <laughs> yep. She, she was max level churchin, and she just thought that Frederick was the greatest ever because he was he was the priest that she answered to, and uh, yes. he he was her direct connection to God. Yes, and he took advantage of that. Yes, and coerced her, for lack of a better word, yep. into having sex with him. He it's interesting because he's the one that tells us this, so he's a little vague. Sure. But I think if we were looking at this objectively, this is probably more of like a rape situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe I, not like an overt yeah. one, but... Even if it wasn't a violent one, he yeah. still uses his position of power. Right. To, yeah, so... This but definitely. he does admit that when he's explaining. He says, I, I knew it was wrong and mm-hmm. I did it anyways because I knew I could. Yes. And I wanted it. Mm-hmm. And, and from... We can infer from that since he still had his collar on in the very beginning when he was praying... That this must have been the incident he was praying about. Right. For the punishment, the swift punishment to come. And see, now this is where I started connecting dots. If we go back to that earlier scene with Doris, you <laughs> yeah. think, well, did he sleep with Doris? Was Joni really his biological daughter? Right, because um, if Doris was always going to church and then he was there, could it be that this is the same cycle playing out again? Yep. They never give you any further context to know, but I just think it's an interesting little subtext you can play around with. Definitely. Um. So yeah, in the end, she keeps quiet about it, so the church is protected, and he's not like undermined in his authority, mm-hmm. and there's no scandal. But he ups and leaves. Yeah, but he decides to leave, and he, he doesn't even know, right, at first yeah. about the child? No. And then she dies in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And what Aaron, I like this line, because he says it very blatantly, um, so Aaron says, like, being born that way, and then having, like, the adopted 
family and them being abusive. Uh, he says that he was never possessed of love, and so instead he became possessed of something else. Yeah, he's in the third person. Mm-hmm. So that opens up a whole door to the ideas of like demonic possession mm-hmm. and like spirit attachment and interesting things like that. Yeah, you start wondering maybe is he dead like the preacher from Brimstone? Hmm. You know, is he just like a manifestation of some dark force? Like the preacher from Brimstone? Or is he even a person? Could he be a demon or an angel yeah. sent to deliver out angels, this? Go back and look at the Bible. Angels are fucking scary. Yeah. <laughs> so it could be. Floating around with wheels and yeah, 20 multiple eyes, eyes and, and four faces and shit. Shouting, be not afraid before they rock up on you. <laughs> yeah. How can I not be afraid? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and to prove his point, well, Frederick says that he's going to kill Ethel. If Frederick, Aaron tells Frederick he will kill Ethel if Frederick does not kill Aaron. Mm-hmm. And to prove this... Well, because Frederick says, I don't believe you. I yeah, think you're, I believe, I think you're right. just BSing me now. Yeah, yeah. You intuited it a little bit, and now you've spun this story. Right. And to prove his point, he just barely touches that flower yep. from the funeral, and it just immediately begins to wilt. Yep. Some real, like... It comes up in the next scene, I think, which we can talk about more, but you think of like the four horsemen and stuff and like pestilence and like depictions of that in media and stuff, and they have that like just that aura that just like decays and rots right. everything in its path. Yeah. Uh so Frederick has a situation. Because <laughs> clearly Aaron's not playing around. Yeah. And he seems to have supernatural means. Seems that way. At least it appears that way to Frederick, which is also another thing because we know Frederick has some something going on wrong up there in his head. And we're really mostly just getting his perspective. Yeah. And all these instances has happened when it was just Frederick and Aaron. Right. There's no other party to kind of confirm what's going on. Yeah. So Frederick goes to see Graham. Sure does. He he needs another priest. Basically has a confession session. Mm-hmm. And the same thing. He We get a little more of the details here that we've already explained about like the the situation with the woman and all of that. Um. And he tells Graham, I'm afraid that I have to make up for this sin by committing another sin. Mm-hmm. And Graham seems pretty concerned about this. Yeah, he says, a sin does not cancel out another sin. Yes. But also he says that committing one will not release any like, balls of fire in the sky either. Mm-hmm. And that's a reference to the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the balls of fire appearing in the sky to herald the end of times. And that connects up a little bit with that idea of the four horsemen, because that's also right. a book of Revelation thing. Mm-hmm. And I like this line a lot, because he tells Frederick to know the difference between what is real and what our conscience has created to punish us. Mm-hmm. So that loops back into our whole question of who or what is Aaron? Is he actually his son, or is he a con man that's taking advantage of them? Is he even there? Is he something that Frederick's created for himself? Mm-hmm. Or is it some sort of divine punishment being laid out upon him? And pointedly, Frederick asks Father Graham how he is to know if the voice that he hears when he prays, if that belongs, you know, whose voice does that belong to? Mm-hmm. You know, is it God? Is it Satan? Is it something else? And there's another thing that Graham tells him when they're kind of going through all of this that I really liked. I wrote it down. Because... Um, Frederick admits that he like wished to be punished in the wake. Mm-hmm. Like he prayed to God and was like, "Please punish me, make this right." And Graham tells him, "Well, you should always be careful what you wish for, but be absolutely sure you know what you pray for." Right, right. Which that sets up an interesting contrast. Yeah. 
cool. Um, so then Frederick goes home. Yes. And he finds Ethel praying by the bed, which we haven't seen her do. No. And from his reaction, it seems a little unusual for her mm-hmm. to be doing this. It seemed that maybe Joni's death kind of put her in a place where she just couldn't accept that. Yeah. And they have a pretty emotional scene, and she tells him that Aaron is going to take Joni's room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, she thinks that it's best if he moves in with them, and, uh-huh. and he, he can fill the gap that's in their life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is alarming to Frederick, of course. <laughs> a little fast. A little fast. A little, uh, <laughs> little maybe supernatural threat. And, uh, another thing, I'm, I'm not sure how old O'Brien is, but I mean, he, he looks fairly... He's probably, I would say, maybe early 20s yeah. is what his character is supposed to be. Because he does look young, but he's not like, you know, a child or right. a kid or anything. And kind of when he gives his first pitch about like, I'm going to meet my friend, that sounded like a college kid. Yeah. Like some of their antics. Right. Um, so yeah, that night they get a going again. And mm-hmm. again, Aaron's like, Hey, you have to kill me. This is what it is. Yep. And just the, his delivery and like the Southern draw. And he's just so direct and so forceful in his words. Like, Ooh, it just hits so good. Yeah. Oh, there's just, they're all having dinner together and Ethel starts choking a bit. Mm-hmm. And they've also said something about how she has bronchitis yeah. or something. But Aaron is looking right at Frederick when this is happening, and he's kind of smiling. So it's inferred that he's doing this to her. Or is he? Or is, or is he? this just the next good is, opportunity? Is it a lucky, yeah, yeah. lucky chance? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, later, when Ethel's not there, Frederick and Aaron are still sitting at the table, having their little debate. Yeah, and that's when Aaron keeps telling him that he has to kill him to make things even with God. Right. Because again, this is what Frederick prayed for. Yeah, it's the same thing Father Graham had asked him. Like, are you even with God? Yep. Which could almost be read two different ways. Are you even with God? Are you even with God? Yeah. Good <laughs> uh, work. <laughs> um, but Frederick still refuses. And he, he comes out and just straight up says, he says, I think that if a man of God commits murder, that would be the end of the world. And all of mankind would be doomed to punishment and fire and fury. Yeah. Because that's just... If you're out there and you're stating that you're a man of God, that's just a line that you can never cross. Yeah. But it's also very egotistical. Yes, considering he crossed another very taboo line yeah. himself. And if just one man, even a priest, commits some sin, then all the humanity suffers? That's, I think he's got kind of a high opinion of himself. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I think so. And I love this line, too, when Aaron asked him who he thinks he was praying to, God or the devil. Yeah. Which still, it's it's circling all the questions they've built up to this point mm-hmm. in this one like ooh chaotic moment. Yeah, and Frederick says that he's more frightened of God than a devil because he knows what God promises. Right. You know, you've got the heaven, everlasting life, but one misstep with God and that promise is gone. Mm-hmm. With the devil, at least you know what you're getting. <laughs> yeah. Which is an interesting conclusion to draw. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then we kind of get the bomb in this situation because Doris shows up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> She's been having bad dreams. Yep, just can't get over Joni. Yeah, and Aaron tries to excuse himself, but she says, no, you could stay. It's okay. Yeah, yes, please, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but effectively, Doris came because she wants Frederick to give her a blessing and read a little bit from the Bible like he used to do, and yeah, that'll make her feel better. Which also, did they have little private... You know, yeah. praying sessions in the past. Yeah, see, I thought so too. Know? This is like another link in that chain of yeah. is that a thing? Was he blessing her before? Yeah. Yep. 
At first it's a blessing, and then next thing you know... (laughs) It's a messing. (laughs) So, reluctantly, Frederick decides that he'll go get his Bible. He'll do this. He just wants to get Doris out of there at this point so he can deal with Aaron. He comes back downstairs. They're not there. He starts hearing noises. Sounds like it's coming from upstairs. Mm -hmm. Goes back upstairs. And all the boards are taken off of Joni's room. Yep. Then he hears more sounds. And he goes back downstairs. And Joni, not Joni, uh, Doris. Yes, she's been stabbed. Yeah, she's writhing around on the floor. Our, our situation has been greatly escalated. <laughs> Extremely. <laughs> and Aaron just tells him point blank, I will kill her mm-hmm. unless you kill me right now. And Frederick refuses, and Aaron just gives this little <sighs> exhalation of breath, and Doris's body is like bolted upright and slammed against the wall. Yep, killing her right away. Which seems pretty supernatural. Mm-hmm. Hard to deny that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless it's Frederick's perspective. Unless this is yeah right. Um, but he, again, Ethel's not there. He calls Mary, calls for her to come. Yes. Um. However. After he finishes that call, Ethel appears because obviously something's going on uh-huh. and that's going to draw her as well. Yep. And of course she sees the dead body of Doris. Um, she immediately gets upset and then Aaron, he, he does another one of those like breaths, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. He's also like <laughs> saying horrible things to her. Yeah. He really just lays and into just her. cuts into her. Yeah. And so it's like the one, two of like, Doris is dead, and you're being told these terrible things, mm-hmm. and it's just all too much for her to bear with. Yeah, and, and the her, whole time, of course, Frederick is you know saying, no, I didn't ask for this, I didn't want this. You know, This wasn't what I asked for. Yeah, and Aaron says, God didn't create this, you did. And then Ethel starts to have another attack, starts choking, mm-hmm. and Aaron's goading him again, you know, I'm going to kill her, unless you kill me. Yep. He says, this is it, she's going to die. Yep. You're the only one that can stop this. Yep. So Frederick takes that knife and... Ugh. Right in the gut. Yep. And Aaron kind of slowly dies, but Ethel's attack subsides. And there's a kind of a long, drawn-out, quiet moment where uh, Frederick just kind of approaches Ethel. And you know, he just his hands are covered in blood <laughs> and everything. And he just says, I love you. <laughs> she doesn't really say that much. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's interesting too because even though the problem's been resolved, like the vibe in this moment, it doesn't feel like anything is okay and nothing's right. really been fixed. Yeah, because the way she looks at him, it's like you're not even sure if she believes that her life was in danger that he right. that she, that he had to kill Aaron. You mm-hmm. know, all that she really knows is that she just saw her husband kill this young man. And Doris was already on the floor, so what happened there? Right. Yeah. So she kind of shakily leaves the house, and we see Mary pulling up in her car. <laughs> and we get a little moment of kind of like a, oh, it's over. Yeah. He, he almost has like a moment of relief on his face. Yeah, until he goes outside. And he looks up into the sky, and what does he see? Four flaming balls of fire coming down out of the sky. Notably descending directly on his spot. Yeah. And the sound kind of picks up. There's just a horrible noise, like a roaring noise. Great audio design. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
And, I mean, tellingly, we don't see the other characters react to this. Right. You know, oh, this we is, only get his perspective. This is totally, yeah, his POV. The end. Boom, just cuts right to the credits. Yep. Tight little movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. I like it a lot. It's a good movie. I have minor quibbles, but those are pretty minor. And we'll get into those. Sure. Uh, but I wanted to talk about some stuff. Let's do it. So this whole thing, like one of the core themes of this film is Frederick wrestling with his relationship with God as he perceives it and what's happened to Joni. And this whole idea that, you know, he insists that God was the one that took her away. And it made me think a lot about the book of Job, which is something I want to get into for a minute, because I think the book of Job, uh, if you know anything about the Bible, it's an interesting piece Mm -hmm. of the pie there. uh, That's often maybe... Uh, hard to reckon with for some people and very frequently ignored or overlooked by a lot of people. No, oh, God works mysterious ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to set it up, if you're not familiar, please bear with me on this. Um, the book of Job is basically this whole investigation into the idea of divine justice, right? Uh, so this is like a general problem when you talk about like theology in general, uh, and it's considered to be the problem of evil or uh, theodicy. So it's basically like asking the question, why do righteous people suffer? Which again, we've got this film here that's called The Righteous. Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of the conventional answer that would have been given back in the day would be that God rewards virtue and he punishes sin. And that's basically considered this idea as retributive justice. You do good, good things happen to you. You do bad, bad things are delivered upon you. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple. Um, that gets into a lot of other things in other areas. If you want to go no, multi-concept, you know, the idea of karma, same thing. You put out good energy, good energy comes back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you go with this, it assumes a world in which human choices and actions are morally significant. Uh, but experience demonstrates that often suffering that happens is frequently unmerited, which then leads to questioning of why, which is right here. We're there with Frederick. He is to a degree, at some point, we never see him do it, but he's saying, you know, why God? Why did you do this to me? Why did you take her? Because mm-hmm. um, from his conception and all he knows, that's the only lens he can see this through. So, I'm just going to be going for a while. You can just throw no, in some okay. fun stuff here. Go for it. Um, so, the biblical concept of righteousness is kind of in this idea, right, of a covenant-making God who has kind of ordered creation for the well-being of existence and then the righteous are those that invest into this community and of course he showed special concern for like the poor and the needy and then the antithesis of that were the wicked who were selfish and greedy and focused only on themselves and not in the, the community and the greater good of all republicans um, okay yes, go on. Yeah. sure um <laughs> and so one one hinge point of this story is that satan raises the question of whether there can be such a thing as disinterested righteousness. Uh, for example, if God was to reward righteousness with prosperity, would men not act righteously for selfish reasons? Because mm. they know if they do so, therein lies the reward. Sure. And so kind of the crux of the book of Job is he puts to God this test of removing the prosperity from one of his devout followers. And he'll renounce you. And he'll renounce you. Mm. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the story itself. We have this character named Job, and he's just like number one Christian, basically. Well, sure, yeah. I guess we wouldn't really use that term, but um, 
bear with me. Ah, go for um, it. Very devout. He's a very devout, devout follower. Yeah. He's he's um, prosperous. He's he's the exemplary one. He does everything right. He has a good family. You know, can't blame him for anything. He he fears God like he should. He shuns evil at every turn. But why shouldn't he? Because he's doing great. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. And so then we get this wager of like, hey, you know, if you if you take everything from him, he'll he'll turn against you. Mm-hmm. He he'll have suffering without any reason, and there won't be a logic to it, and he can't process that. And and as the story progresses, uh, there are some other characters that come in, and Job sees them, and some of them do suffer because they have done things to be guilty for, and that just affirms his belief, right? Like, okay, you've you've done this and that, ergo you have been punished. Ergo, God is just. Mm-hmm. Um, but misfortune befalls Job. He, uh, what, his family dies. Uh, his his prosperity goes away. Right. Yeah. Um, dude basically he gets loses. like scabrous sores <laughs> yeah. and everything. Dude basically loses everything and anything that bad that could happen to him happens to him. Yep. Um. And so, in that sense. This is the whole wager. Like this suffering is without reason; it's been delivered upon him. Um, so, so over the course of all of this, despite it all, Job remains pious. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of bucks the theory to what was going to happen. Um, and interesting, he has several conversations again with these friends as all this is going on, and he kind of agrees with some of the their points. But he still maintains that, you know, God should and does reward righteousness. Um, and so in kind of the back end of all of this, it builds up and it builds up and things keep getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, he basically gets to the point where he has nothing. Everything is shit. Uh, there's really no sense of how he could go on as a person at this point. <laughs> right. Um and eventually it comes to this point where he straight up questions God finally. But like, why did this happen, right? Yeah. And um, we get this idea of wisdom as a concept. Um, so instead of like focusing on the idea of retributive justice, it stresses the idea of the inaccessibility of wisdom. So it's this idea that wisdom can't be invented or purchased. Uh, it says like, um, for example, God alone knows the meaning of the world and he grants it only to those who live in reverence before him. So he has wisdom because he can understand the complexities of the world. And this is there's this whole long speech, and I didn't want to quote through everything, right, but no, yes. um, there, there's the part where God speaks to him and says, you know, where were you when I carved out the earth? Da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Like all, all, all the greatness of the things of God and creation that has happened. And so he never explains to Job a reason for the suffering, but he also never like defends the justice of that either. Uh, basically he just talks about like, it's his role to maintain order in the universe. Um, and in the end, Job confesses that he has a lack of wisdom clearly. And so he's not able to understand the workings of the cosmos or the ability to maintain it. And so he kind of just submits himself to what has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the end, he kind of repents of his even questioning and challenging of God about it. And um, he basically, in, in the end, he says, you know, I was wrong uh, in this, but I also don't retract any of my arguments about, like, the unfairness of this. 
Um, and so, yeah, experiment over. That was fun, I guess. <laughs> Everything gets restored to him. He gets all his prosperity back. He gets a, he gets a nice new wife, new kids. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, how do you reconcile this? As a story, I, I give a very truncated version. There is more to it, of sure, course. Sure, sure. Um, well, as far as the whole Job thing, I mean, Job was detested. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he hadn't committed any sins. Mm-hmm. You know, he was prosperous and everything. And but, like in the case of Frederick, he did commit a sin. Yes, pretty big sin. And you know, he asked for the punishment, and he got it. I mean, this is if, if, if God is behind this in the movie, it, it's very much an Old Testament kind of God. Yeah, you know, because I thought that the basic precepts of Christianity, or at least New Testament type Christianity, is forgiveness. You know, how come he's not asking for forgiveness? You know, right? Um, and definitely depending on your denomination that you're playing with. Yeah, I mean, it's a very guilt thing too. Catholics there's a, are there's very, a varying level of focus on Old Testament style or New Testament style. Yeah, and that's one of my things um, about religion. There's a lot of guilt hang up involved with it because there's definitely a divide there to some degree. Yeah, um, I think it's pretty obvious. Neither of us did much Sunday schooling, right? So, um, you <laughs> we're know, actually, not the most religious people. This the the story of Job. By relation, like when I was in like Sunday school type stuff and like the summer youth camp kind of was a vacation Bible school deal, um, I ran afoul of such problems because I would question stuff because I'm a weird kid that questions a lot of stuff. Well, you're not supposed to question anything. So you I know w- that, right? So I would, I would read what they told me to read and then I would be like, hey. This makes no sense. Hey, person, that's my <laughs> teacher here. I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me? And then they're kind of like, well, why are you questioning this? Uh-huh. Um, I, that doesn't make any sense. I, I can't distinctly remember. I think it was the whole idea of like, uh, right. If you're not sa- this, this church in particular, I don't remember the denomination, but it was a whole, like, uh, if you're not saved, you go to hell period, full stop. Yeah. And so I go, you know, Oh, teach teacher. So if there was an Island in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and in a foreign country and they've never connected with anyone in the outside world and they've never had a chance to know God and they're just born and then they die. What happens to them? And it's like, well, they weren't saved, so they go to hell. They never had a chance. And then I go, well, how's that fair? How is that fair? And then it, you get what's what's in Job and what comes up in this film, which is this idea that you know, if you can't understand, you don't have the wisdom right. yeah. of of the fabric of everything, mm-hmm. and it works in mysterious ways. And I guess I guess for some people that's a, you can understand that, and maybe it's like a humbling thing, and it's a it's a solace to you. But even me as like a young kid sitting in that class and I was like, it's infuriating. If that's what it is, then that's not fair. And the person that decided it isn't fair. Yeah. And that's, that's not cool. Yeah. That's not a benevolent God. You know, right. That's not the, that's not the goods we're being sold here. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then you, then that leads into like, well, how can you say all of these things? But then there's this, which like contradicts all of that completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's part of why I like this film because it brings up a lot of old feelings of like <laughs> questions and, and things I've always thought about and struggled on. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember like uh, when I was in college, I took a world lit course and for, for the Bible, we did the book of Job and, and the teacher tried to be good about this and was like, you know, we're not going to get into religion. <laughs> Can you not get into religion? <laughs> uh, we're just going to take this as a piece of literature and discuss it. And we wasted like days in the class because like, 
some chick in there, like it was her first time reading the book of Job actually, but she was like a devout, I go to church all the time. How could she be a devout Christian and that's the first time she gets the book of Job? It broke her fucking mind because she could not, like, it can't compute, right? Right, right. Um, Which, I mean, that's a thing you'll notice, like, they don't really teach from the book of Job. That's not like on the sermon rotation usually. Typically, no. Yeah, because you can't, you can't go anywhere with it. <laughs> they just like to cherry pick the few lines, the, uh, the, the, uh, Lord works in mysterious ways, and what's the other? Like the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't understand His plans, but everything happens for a reason. So take solace in that. So they say. Uh, I had one more fun little <laughs> random side path I ran down just to share. Sure. Uh, we love Jung. Not in the we don't agree with everything he says, but we think his ideas are interesting. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. We we like to bring him up when he's relevant. Um, weirdly, he was super fond of the book of Job because he had his own like crazy interpretation of it, mm-hmm. uh, which he published and I guess is kind of considered heretical in the sense of like the big capital C church. Uh, but it was this thing called the answer to Job and it was his own like interpretation of, of Job and to like make it make more sense, I guess for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he said it was significant and he said that, um, uh, uh, his argument about this story was that while Job submitted to God's omnipotence, uh, he nevertheless proved to be more moral and conscious than God was being in the moment who tormented him without justification under the influence of Satan. Because of this scandal, it made it necessary for God to become united with man in some way to even the scale. <laughs> and so to do this, he had to incarnate as some form of pure good through a virgin birth, ergo the whole like story of Jesus <laughs> to then die for people's sins, to link them together. Um, and so in a way it was like to him, this was like a bridge from old Testament God. Like I am mighty, fear me, worship yeah. me, obey me. I'm going to wipe out humanity because they're all sinners to new Testament. God, everything is love, forgiveness, <laughs> understanding, you know, repent and feel sorry and do the best that you can into the world. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was interesting that it, to him, that was like a bridge between the two. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Random side path. I just, <laughs> I got lost in my research and I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm going to share it and no one will probably care, but if you're still here, thanks for, thanks <laughs> yeah. for sticking with yeah, us. Thanks for sticking around. Um, but then again, it could have been Satan doing this, acting through Aaron and everything because Frederick opened himself up to Satan from his sin. Right. You know? And so it could have been just that next thing to tip him over the edge. Yeah. Now that he had his hooks in. Yep. I think that would be a, you know, Catholic reading of the movie. And I think that's the strong thing about this film is that you can come at it from like twenty different angles, and each way you're gonna walk out with a different interpretation mm-hmm. of what's going on, and what it means and what its message is. And I love a film that's that multi-layered. Sure. That yeah. you can you can go back to it again and again and keep pulling out different stuff and different perspectives because mm-hmm. this, this could be an actual supernatural event. It could be Satan. It could be mm-hmm. God. It could just be some demon tormenting him. It could be all in Frederick's mind. You know, <laughs> and that, that's what I want to go back to now. So it's billed as a psychological thriller. So if we take it like we're supposed to believe that it is a psychological thriller, maybe possibly potentially the like quote unquote official line we should be running on is that this is a lot of it is in his head. Right. And it's this 
you know, situation he's worked up on himself to punish himself. It makes me think of St. Maud in a lot of ways. Yeah. The religious fervor and how it can affect some people. Which we've covered, and you should go back to. Yes. To listen to me slightly trash it and then retract it some months later. (laughs) I was hoping that day would come because I thought you were really hard on that movie. (laughs) Great film, but I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, So unless you have anything else, I think we're good to kind of go into our final thoughts. I'm good. Let's do it. All right. You can start. I've been talking for a while okay, with right. my Book of Job sidetrack. Uh, first, I want to say that it is too bad that Michael's not here because this movie would make a great play. <laughs> <laughs> there's like six characters. There's like two locations. It would, yeah. You just got the farmhouse, basically. It's a total play. Yeah. Every, everything you could do in camera, all the effects that mm-hmm. they use and stuff. Uh, <laughs> in camera well in front of an audience and the monologues too like those would be really intense moments to be in a oh, crowd yeah. there with everyone that'd be a great live performance yeah so you missed it Michael you missed it anyway this, this movie <laughs> would maybe work better as a play it might work better as a play yes I would watch this as a play I would too um, I liked it I liked it a lot um, I don't think it's like classic status for me mm-hmm. uh, the acting is great the cinematography is great. I love the black and white. I'm a sucker for black and white. Um, I think where it doesn't quite get to the great level for me is... I like ambiguity, but at the same right. time, I'm wondering if this is just sort of waffling. Like, if it doesn't really have a theme. Like, if it's not trying to say something, it's just throwing out questions. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like J.J. Abrams' mystery box or something. Or Lynch. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, <laughs> true. Um, that's the only thing that really keeps me from... I, I, like, I don't know what the thesis of this movie is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can make up your own, right. which is cool. I like that. But at the same time, I'm not really sure what the director wants us to think. And maybe that's the point. Oh. You know, maybe that's the point. Well, before you give your rating... Oh, okay, um, here we go. From the little booklet that comes with the Blu-ray... We have a director's statement. Okay, let's do it. When we got to the end here, I thought I would read it and share it. Nice. So, Mark O'Brien, to the, to the viewer, says, mm-hmm. If you've watched this film, thank you for your time. If you've enjoyed it, even better. If not, it happens. If you watched it with a friend and extracted some meaning from it that is different from theirs, then I can die happy and without fireballs in my orbit. For art should always be personal and varied. For better or worse, this is the film I wanted to make. And I did so without compromise. I can't imagine doing it otherwise. This has been a privilege and a blessing. Now go create something. Nice. No, I like that. That's a good thought. I like that. I quite like that. And if that is his artistic intent to just sort of provoke your own interpretations and your own discussions and everything, that's cool. You know, I dig that. Uh, So at the end of the day, I would give this a rating of four stars. Nice. That's that's quite a, a remark from from you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's like you said. It, it's and this would befuddle a lot of people. I think like modern movie going audiences, but this was a breath of fresh air after like Ludo and stuff. Oh yeah, because yeah. I I love quiet movies, slow movies, it's movies very, very where, contemplative. Yeah, you know, capital A artistic type movies. Um, you know, it's funny because. Um, Tiffany had a lot going on, and I told her, like, hey, you need to watch this one with me. Uh, it's kind of religious horror in a way, and she loves religious horror films. Mm-hmm. And she, she just wasn't able to find the time to sit down with me, but she caught, like, a clip and a scene here or there as she was bouncing around. 
And it was funny because before I came to record tonight, she was like, hey, um, I know you just watched it for the podcast, but could we go back and you show me this again? Because I really want to see it. Oh, cool. Just the few like teases of it that she got. Hmm. Like just the vibe of it. She was like, ooh, I really need to watch this. Did you already watch it? Not yet. Oh, okay. We're probably going to this weekend. Let me know what she says. What was your reaction? So I think most of my praise I've doled out along the way. Mm-hmm. I super love this film. I think it's great. I think... Um, I've, the negative reviews I have seen, they're very much like, oh, it's kind of generic and it doesn't really do much or uh, it's, it's forgettable. I was captivated the whole time I watched it. I think it's just very impressive. Perfect camera work. I love the black and white, just like you said, mm-hmm. the, doing the whole Bergman thing. Very Seventh Seal, very Hour of the Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, Night of the Hunter was a big influence on the director too. Oh yeah, I could see that too. Yeah. That has the same good black and white work and like heavy moral themes. Yeah. Um, oh, and I feel like it's just such an intense uh, ride the whole way through. And it, it is for 90 minutes. It's like very well paced, very well timed. Mm-hmm. The big moments really hit like they should. There's great interactions between the character. They have like perfect chemistry with one another. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he is his son or not, but you could believe that he is. Mm-hmm. And that there is this like rage between them of this, uh, this resentment for the life that he, he did not get, but then it was given to Joni. Mm-hmm. And then potentially he, he took it away from her to, yeah. to come back in punishment. Um, I love that there's so many interpretations and different ways you can go with it. Is it supernatural? Is it all in his head? Um, I'm all in there with David Lynch stuff. So, you know, don't tell me what it is. Just hold up that mirror and let me <laughs> seep it out. And then I'll ponder while I listen to what everyone else thinks. Right. Uh, I dig that stuff, man. I love it so much. I'm at five stars on this one. Five stars? Yep. Wow. All, okay. Yep. All the way. It's in the pantheon of reflecting skin. Yeah. And what else have you given five stars to? I can't remember. More right than now. I should have, probably. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. You're enthusiastic and you love mm-hmm. it. I don't question your five star rating. Good. So, yeah. So uh, hopefully, people out there, maybe you'll t- check out this movie. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it. No, no. Seek it out. I think it's definitely worth your time. If, if of any of the stuff we pitch, this is one that's really, really worth yeah, checking if, out. If a slow burn atmospheric, psychological, pseudo-religious movie, horror movie, you know, sounds good to you. Check it out. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, another thing I meant to say, there's no fat in this film. No, no, you no. You know, no. it's a nice lean 90 minutes. Yeah. Every scene goes somewhere. Every scene means something. It's not a not a kickback with a brew and your friend watch. It's, no. it's more of a, you have a quiet evening at home. Yeah. And you just want to chill for like an hour and a half and have some ideas kicking around. Definitely. So that brings us to the end on this one. Thank you again so much, Colin, for pitching this one. I guess I kind of set it up by accident by telling him about the film. (laughs) Well, it's a good suggestion. um, And you need to watch it, Colin, and let us know what you think. Yep, I'll I'll let you borrow the blue if I have to to get you there. There you go. Um, That brings us to our next block, which we're going to be doing as a duo unit without Michael. And pursuant to him needing the time off, we decided that we were going to do a topic that you've kicked around for a while, Jason. Yeah. Uh, We talked about a bunch that we've wanted to do. And we're always trying to be pretty honest and transparent with one another. And it's one where Michael had just been like, you know, I just don't know if I can sit down and do like three or four episodes all on this topic. It is, it's going to hit me really hard, which is totally fine. We always say, you know, know your limits, know your, what you can handle and what you're good with and where you are in your headspace when you get into some of these films. Right. Um, but how do, you know, how do you know your limits if you don't uh, watch some extreme horror slash disturbing movies? Yes, that is our next block for October. We're going to go crazy. We're going to do a bunch of them. Um, 
controversial genre at times. Mm-hmm. Um, some that many embrace willingly. Some some where people question its validity <laughs> to exist, which I'm sure is a topic we'll get into. Yeah. Um, we're still going to do our core three films, like always. Um, for Michael's pick, I have been pulling out into the social medias to get ideas and suggestions. And we've taken so, those. Some of you listeners are, are Michael for this yes. this upcoming block. We, we, we chose his pick. We took the options. We kind of contabulated a little bit, did a little black magic in the corner. <laughs> um, and so do you want to introduce what our first film, the technical quote unquote Michael pick for extreme horror? <laughs> Which is one he probably would not pick. Yes, no. we are going to do the somewhat infamous uh, Serbian film. Yes, from 2010. Hey, you say the director's name. Serdan Spasojevic. Works for me. Sure. We're going to massacre a lot of names on this one. Sorry in advance. Um, We'll just set it up now, I guess. Maybe one of the most controversial horror films of all time. And we'll Does it deserve that title? I don't it? know. I don't know. We'll investigate that. We'll get into that next time for sure. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see. I've never seen it, actually. <laughs> oh, you had not seen it? I, know if I it's, thought you've seen it. I know of its legend and its reputation. <laughs> All right. But I, but I have yet not indulged. Nice. Well, and I'm, now I shall. I'm anxious to see your impression. All right. Well, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we always appreciate it. Every like, every reshare, any comments. We always want to know what you're watching, what you're enjoying. If you have seen or listened to and then sought out a film we've covered, let us know. Let us know what you think. Any thoughts or insights you have, we we like to hear that stuff. It's great for us. It's what makes all of this super rewarding and worthwhile to do. Uh, keep hitting us up with film requests, movie suggestions you want us to cover as an episode. Uh, we love having those and trying to chart out and get into what you guys think is worth looking into. Yeah, please let us know. Uh, so, yeah, you can find us on all the social medias or hit us up at our email, genreexposure at gmail.com. Uh, we love it. We appreciate it. Keep tuning in and keep enjoying movies. Yeah, thanks for I, I still don't have this outro down, man. I just that's all right. It's cool. I need it's Michael. To, I need Michael to sit and coach me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the point is that we'll be seeing you all very soon. Yes, in our most unholiest of yes, seasons. It's almost upon us. It is upon us, my friends. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening (laughs) 